Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today we've got something really special for you. Today, we go north of the border to a kinder, gentler nation where we meet the one person who is keeping everything in line up there. That's right, we're talking today to Kim Moody, and he's gonna share with us why you need to handle your tax exposure and the way you structure your company and perhaps even your business related to your net worth and your family's portfolio differently if you're in a certain asset class. We're talking about Moody's private client. It's the premier accounting and law firm in Canada for people who want to reduce their tax exposure. And it's led by an individual who is perhaps the foremost authority on saving money for individuals in an affluent status or individuals who are of high net worth who want to reduce their exposure. If you want to keep more of your money in your own pocket and give less to the government, you got to listen to this guy. Please join me in welcoming Kim Moody to the Inside BS Show. All right, Kim, thanks for joining us. And uh, by the way, thanks for keeping your country in line. I know you have 70% of your population amassed along the border, ready to come into the United States at any given time. Thanks for keeping them up there for us. <laughs> You're welcome, Dave. Yeah, we're, we're pretty threatening for sure. <laughs> All right. So I want to know, you are one of my favorite people to talk to about a number of subjects, but you're a pioneer in my eyes because you have, from a tax perspective, you have accountants and attorneys under one roof united to help your clients reduce their exposure to uh, you know, government, onerous government taxation. How did you, how did this idea come up? How did you decide to marry these two and how has it given you a competitive advantage? Well, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about that, Dave. And first of all, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I love the title inside BS that, uh, we, we could have fun with that, but the, uh, the, the story goes back to when I first started practicing, uh, early nineties, late, late eighties, early nineties. And I got a keen interest in tax. And in Canada, the, you know, the LLM programs in tax are pretty much non-existent, especially back then they were non-existent. And in Canada, unlike the United States, the practice of tax is dominated by accountants. Um, not very many tax lawyers and even fewer LLMs in tax, whereas in the United States, as you know, that's very, very different. And so there's a whole training regime of how accountants start practicing in tax. And so I took that pretty rigorous. Um, and then as my career progressed and I went on my own uh, fairly early in my career, naively to, you know, in hindsight, but I wouldn't change it for a minute. I always wanted to have a tax focused um, accounting firm. And so I did that, but along the way I need to pay some bills. So of course I did financial statements and tax returns like normal accountants do. But as it grew, I, I, I wanted to get other people to, to do, the, do that so I could focus on tax advisors, so I did that. And it was a nice transition to get away from the compliance. But as I got experienced in my career, and uh, more experienced, and the more I practiced in tax and, and you know read the Income Tax Act, read the case law, I was like, man, this, uh, this is really practicing law as an accountant, um, <laughs> which is illegal. Uh, you're not supposed to be able to practice law without a, without a law degree and without a, a license. 
But in Canada, the you know the practice of tax has pretty much been abandoned, uh, or it was back then, and it still is today. There's not many lawyers practicing tax law, and um, and so, but the advantages of being a lawyer to practice tax are obvious. They're trained in statutes, they're trained in administrative law, they're trained in criminal law, and all other areas of law that intersect with tax, which is pretty much everything. And uh, whereas accounts are not trained in that, and so I had been trained self-studied which is not a great way to learn the law and so and so over the years I I started to hang around with tax lawyers I hired tax lawyers Uh, you know my mentors were tax lawyers and I I really really got interested in in that and so when the time fast forward to 2007 when the time came that I got sick of I had merged my practice in with a national accounting firm and that was a disaster And, and I know you know me fairly well Dave and probably you're not surprised that it didn't last very long because I'm an entrepreneur at heart and when you're in a big bureaucracy uh, you know you don't you don't last very long so I started I left the bureaucracy and in 2007 started Moody's and I wanted to try to start a true multidisciplinary firm of accountants and lawyers practicing tax and so I did that I had a law firm own a piece of Moody's and um, and hired a bunch of lawyers and we worked on that and then later added Canada US cross-border and that was an interesting stu- uh, thing and then and then we instead of being a multidisciplinary firm which most states and provinces uh, prohibit true MDP type models uh, we decided to start a true law firm and a, and a, a side-by-side accounting firm under one umbrella one roof um, and uh, you know get explicit client permission to share information when appropriate and I got to tell you Dave fast forward to today we're uh, you know we're a decent sized firm uh, have a pretty good footprint in Canada and we punch way above our weight and you know we're thought leaders in terms of how to deliver tax services in a multidisciplinary and, and cross-border environment and and uh, you know try to do things purposely different and it's it's been fun it's been challenging learned a lot and continue to make adjustments along the way. So it help folks understand, because I think the bulk of our listeners, the bulk of our viewers are probably going to be U.S. based. Help folks understand the the difference in provinces in Canada and um, the approach toward uh, taxation and the law, because all the provinces have their own. It's it's almost like states in the United States, right? Pro- the province ha- provinces have their own uh, focus. And you're in Alberta. And is is Alberta more conservative from a tax perspective, more aggressive from a tax perspective? And how does it differ from like Ontario, which a lot of a lot of U.S. folks will, you know, will know and will will recognize? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So just by way of quick education, Canada is comprised of 10 provinces and and, uh, three territories uh, way up north. and like you said, roughly 70%, it's actually higher than that, it's, it's over 80% of Canada's population is within, is within 60 miles of the U.S. border, so very congregated. Um, Ontario is our largest province, has 14 million people roughly. Uh, Quebec is our second and has a, just, just under that. Where I'm in, in Alberta, it's got about 4 million people. So relatively small by, by United States, our total population is roughly 35 million as a country. Um, 
you know, Quebec is is a is a very crazy province. Uh, we tend to try to avoid it as much as possible because it, you know, it, civil law uh, um, is what's followed there, as as opposed to the common law uh, is followed in, in all other provinces. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Louisiana is a civil law regime as well. But yep, uh, you're right. Um, and so rules are completely different here in Alberta. It's very conservative, uh, kind of like Texas. We always refer to us, ourselves as Texas North. Um, you know, very oil-driven, um, and uh, we're not big fans of our current federal government for a whole variety of reasons, so don't get me going on that, Dave, today. Uh, but in Ontario, we have, it's currently a conservative um, uh, province as well, but you'd never know it. It, it very much smells and looks like a, a, pro a progressive, very left-of-center, fiscally and, and socially type of uh, province, which is unlike Alberta. So. You know, it, it's very different. Our taxation policies are federally driven, and most provinces just hip hop on on whatever the whatever the feds propose and and whatever they implement into law. Most provinces just follow it, uh, and uh, Alberta is no no uh, uh, different uh, than most provinces that way. Unlike Quebec, which has its own regime. Okay, so if you're if, if you have a client that comes to you from Alberta and they're, uh, and they're, uh, and they're a wealthy client, they may be, they may be a farmer or they may be, they may have, it may have been involved in oil. Whereas a wealthy client from Ontario could be like, in, especially in the Toronto area, they could be in banking or finance, right? So it's, you know, I'm just trying to give folks a sense for it's, you know, there's, there are a lot of similarities to the US. Whereas if you were from New York City and you were affluent, you were probably, you might've been in finance. Or uh, if you were in California and you're affluent, you might've been in the arts, you might've been in, in the, in in the movie industry. So, you know, Canada is no different than the United States. It has diversity of people, diverse backgrounds, but Canada has its share of affluent people. Now, the interesting thing, and this is something that you shared with me, is there's not a high prevalence of like family offices or the, you know, the bundling of wealth among, you know, five or six affluent families to, to gain leverage in, you know, investing in that sort of thing. Do affluent families, are affluent families in Canada, they pretty much are independent and they have like a, an individual advisor helping them or do they manage their own wealth how does that work what's the you know what's the garden variety affluent person the you know not the not the billionaire but the multi-millionaire how do they handle their wealth do they do they manage it themselves do they have a financial advisor how does it work in canada yeah it's interesting um you and i were having a discussion about this the last time you were in, in calgary here and and you know calgary try that again canada just, just does not have the prevalence, for example, of billionaires, just, just by way of a quick example uh, of the United States, just, just in terms of, you know, per capita and just the number of, of billionaires. There's a lot of millionaires, uh, of course, um, but, you know, the, the number of billionaires and, and, and just, you know, towards billionaires has really, from what I can tell in the United States, generated a whole bunch of multifamily office offerings and single-family office offerings for, for families. In Canada, certainly there are single-family office offerings, but there's not a ton. Um, some of them are very quiet, so of course we don't know about them, but the ones that are out there are, are uh, rather well-known, um, but there's just not a ton of them. 
there is beginning to be more and more multifamily office offerings, but it's just not as common as in the United States. Uh, you know, by way of an example, uh, the family office exchange, uh, Fox, as it's commonly known, mm-hmm. is very well known, very well uh, represented in the United States with U.S. members. Uh, in you know, Canada certainly has a number of members in Fox, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, just per capita, the number of members is 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 a good representative of, of the fact that there's just not a lot of family offices, single family or multifamily in Canada. Having said that, it's growing uh, because it is a decent way, frankly, of, of providing you know one roof offerings. Um, and some people try to get into that game, like there's a big four firm right now that's trying to do the multifamily office offers, offering. Good luck to them uh, because it's easier said than done. Um, but where do they get their advice? Uh, I, my experience, Dave, it, it, in Canada, it's all over the map. You know, I've got one, <laughs> one example where, you know, very very wealthy uh, family. Um, you know, has been with a longtime accountant, and they get all their advice from this one-time accountant or this longtime accountant. Mm. The longtime accountant is a great guy, pretty knowledgeable guy, but way out of his league in in, in a whole bunch of different areas. Uh, that would be an extreme example. Another example is just a you know where they are a little more sophisticated than that, and they'll pull together a group of advisors and ask them to work together. Again, mm, ego, okay. egos get in the way. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But the coordinated offering, uh, I would say, is pretty rare. Okay, so if we start to talk about wealth preservation, I think you're you'll get a lot of people's attention because. It, Wealth preservation is a big concern, and I'm not talking necessarily about asset protection because my impression is that Canada is just less litigious. The laws are are a little different up there, but we're talking about wealth wealth preservation from a tax perspective. Give people who are listening, people who are watching, some flavor for the level of taxation in Canada. So if you're an affluent individual, what what percentage of your annual income is going to is going to go toward the government if you're playing it straight? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and maybe I'll start off by answering that question by saying that Canada is very different than the United States. There, there's, there's no shortage of lawyers and accountants I deal with in the US that when I explain the Canadian system, they're surprised because they, they somehow think that Canada's system should be almost similar to the United States. And can you say apples and oranges? Because literally that is, our system is so, so different. So on income tax, as a quick example, um, just starting with the easy one, rates, you know, our, you'll hit the highest uh, personal income tax rate in Canada when you, when you have roughly, depending by province, but roughly say $220,000 of income, Canadian dollars. And so that's a pretty low threshold, whereas in many states, um, you know, you won't hit the highest threshold. So somewhere in the 600,000 range. Sure. I mean, basically anyone who can live in New York City would probably hit that threshold. So. Yeah. And so, uh, so that, that's the first thing that the actual rates themselves, um, like in Ontario, the highest combined federal provincial rate is 54%. Uh, British Columbia, beautiful province to our west here, is 54%. My home province of Alberta, you know, we had a socialist government uh, creep into our history for the first time ever uh, about uh, three years ago, 
uh, four years ago, sorry, they're now out of power, but you know, when they were in power, they did a lot of damage and increased our rate from 39% combined federal provincial to 48%. Now, 48 is still better than 54, but it's still pretty high. It's, mm -hmm. get, it's getting into, you know, California-type rates. And so when you look at, you know, just rates, um, you know, it's a pretty expensive place to live. On death, as, as most of your listeners know, I mean, if you're a wealthy person, you've got to try to avoid the U.S. estate tax, which... Thankfully, now the exemption is $12 million, but for the ultra-high net worth, that's not a lot, right? Uh, and and if, if you're exposed, you can be 40% uh, U.S. estate tax on any excess. In Canada, we don't have an estate tax. Instead, when you die, if there's any deferred income plans like, pen, like RSPs, which are essentially pensions, those are deemed to be received upon death, so fully taxable. And then any other property you held on death is deemed to be disposed of at fair market value. So if there's any pregnant gains, you, they're realized and you'll pay capital gains. In Canada, unlike the United States where they bifurcate between short-term gains and long-term gains, Canada just has a flat capital gains are taxed at 50%. Or try that again. Only 50% of the capital gain is taxed. So in Alberta, 24% on the high side. Ontario, 27%. So on death, that's the result. There are some deferrals available. So if you're married or living common law and you die first and everything goes by way of will to your surviving spouse or common law partner, then it's deferral until you die. Farmers and, mm. fish, farmers and fishermen get a deferral uh, if they pass their property to their children, but that's pretty much it. So it can be expensive, but for the very high net worth uh, person, probably not as expensive as the U.S. estate tax if you hadn't planned for the U.S. estate tax. So how how do you help people when they come to you and they say, I don't, I don't want to pay that? What do you, you know, what strategies can you employ to help them either defer the tax to a time when their income is reduced or it, it, are there, are there vehicles like we have in the states where they can save for retirement and max out retirement investments so that they can withdraw from them when they're in a potentially lower tax bracket, when they, when they're not, you know, when they don't have that income, what do you do to help people? Cause I mean, I hear 54% and I think, wow, I mean, that's like, that's like, you're getting, you're getting clobbered. That's like double the rate that, that we would pay. Not in California, obviously. I mean, we're, we're, we're not, you know, we're not, th this show is not, we're not talking about people in California. We're talking about everybody, the other, the other uh, 49 states, right? So, you know, California, New York, maybe Connecticut, Jersey, but you know, how, how do you help people, you know, how do you get them into maybe the, can you get them into the 30% bracket or, or lower? I mean, it's got to be really hard. It, it is hard. And in many cases, you know, after looking at how much time do we have, you know, are we dealing with an 85 year old with say a five year life expectancy? Or are we dealing with a, you know, 50 year old that has a long life expectancy? And, and what are their objectives? You know, what, what, so it really does start with, you know, reviewing what's the dangers, you know, uh, what's the opportunities, what's the strengths, and, you know, a uh, program I'm involved, which you're familiar with, you know, strategic coach, DOS, mm -hmm. looking at their dangers, opportunities, and strengths, and that's literally what we do with, with every client, uh, is to look at that, and then look at ways of, can we spread this tax burden over their lifetime, so as to reduce their overall rate. If we do have that benefit of time, that's a great plan, and, and use that to try to transition to the next generation, if it makes sense to do so. Um, 
after looking at non-tax factors. If, we're, if we don't have the benefit of time, then your options become pretty limited. Um, and, and in some cases, there are just no legitimate options unless you really want to get into the aggressive territory, which most people don't want to do that. And I don't subscribe to a lot of that either. So, um, so sometimes we're looking at monet, uh, you know, monetization type strategies or making sure that there's enough liquidity and enough left over, which those types of exercises are not as pleasant, uh, but they're necessary. And so life insurance often t uh, can be a useful uh, tool as long as it makes economic sense. Um, so no cookie cutter answer, Dave, unfortunately, but, um, but there is, you know, if we have the benefit of a, a long period of time, the, the, planning, uh, the planning tools are, are pretty powerful and pretty effective. Okay. So talk about, talk about the firm in general, and let's talk about a client who, uh, a client, how, how do most clients find Moody's private client? How do most, most clients find your firm when they, and when they come to you, what is the, what is the average client looking for? Are there, are there one, two, three different ways that people find you and what are the reasons they're coming to you? Yeah, great question, uh, especially coming from a guy like you. Uh, they're, uh, they're oftentimes coming from existing clients, referral sources, you know, happy clients, uh, which is what you want, right? I mean, you, <laughs> hey, we were, we had a great experience. You should experience this too. I mean, that, that's, you know, best kind of referrals. Another best kind of referral is coming from, you know, centers of influence, you know, where we have great relationship with bankers or insurance people or investment advisors and, and their clients have been well treated and well served by us. And, and so those centers of influence want to have the others uh, exposed to us. And so those are very common as well. Um, you know, the other less traditional ways would be, you know, social media. I, I'm, I'm a bit of a loud mouth on LinkedIn. and. And that tends to uh, drive some traffic to us, and you know we have pretty good blogs, and and uh, that generates a lot of traffic and and uh, following in in our space uh, with other accountants, other lawyers, other investment advisors, the centers of influence, and so we get a fair amount of referrals off our blogs, um, and that you know that that probably covers you know I would say ninety percent plus of the people that come to us and how they find us. Okay. Now you uh, you mentioned that you you have a robust let's call it a robust presence on LinkedIn, and I am a very big fan of someone who does what you do and has the beliefs that you have, espousing those beliefs on LinkedIn. And without without getting into specifics, talk about how you let your uh, political beliefs, your political philosophy come through on LinkedIn and how it's benefited your business. Sure. I have three rules when it comes to LinkedIn on a post, and I've talked to you about this too, but my three rules are it's going to be a tax post, which is my area of expertise, or it's going to be a something to do with leadership because I really love the study of leadership, and I'm always trying to refine you know, my own leadership style uh, because I'm a leader of the firm. I'm, I'm a community leader. I'm a com professional uh, leader. And so I really want to do better. So uh, something to do with leadership or politics as it re as it references tax and or leadership. That's my that's my pillars. And so if I'm posting something on you know political, it, it has to be grounded in my area of expertise and my ser second area of expertise or at least interest is leadership. And if it's not grounded in that, like if it's just a you know I hate Trudeau, well. 
you know that that's not good enough. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. There has to be a reason why I'm posting about something to do with Trudeau um, and his shitty taxation policies, for example. And so, as long as I'm, you know, if I'm if I'm posting, if, am I allowed to say shitty? By the way, on your say whatever you want, Kim. <laughs> Absolutely, I don't care. Yeah, of course. There's, there's no listen. If there, if there is a child listening to this to plan for his tax future, bad words are the. We're not going to scare him. Believe me, yeah. he's 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 in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> the high road on this one, but let's just say that uh, you know the f bomb is fairly common in my office here. But um, but anyhow, the you know that so I you know when I started posting probably. 10-ish years ago and then you know fast forward to when there is a bunch of shitty proposals introduced by the government uh, back in 2017 and I became quite a loudmouth along with some other practitioners across Canada there's probably a group of about 50 of us that were quite loud about it and because of my leadership position within the tax profession all of a sudden I started to get a lot of traffic and followers and ever since 2017 I've been you know known to basically say say what I uh, say what I think and uh, but before I hit post I'm always looking at it and saying okay can I defend this um, I'll get attacked for some of this for sure but what's the defenses and so there's those thoughts that go in my head but the transparent honesty and uh, is, is certainly what uh, you know what drives it and, and it seems to have hit a chord Dave so I, I've told you before in private, and I, I don't mind saying it in public, that I, you know, I think your philosophy is spot on for someone who is going to be the guardian of other people's fortune. I don't, I don't want to hire a liberal accountant. I don't want my accountant saying we should all pay more taxes. I'm not hiring that guy. I mean, I'm just not doing it. I can be the most progressive person on earth, but I don't want to hire an accountant who wants to give away my money. And I don't know anybody else who does. So I think that philosophy serves you well in the role that you're in. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Talk to the person who has the has the same belief structure and is cheering you on from the sidelines, but is concerned about what people are going to say. Explain to that person the value in just staying true to your beliefs and not pulling any punches when you're when you're writing or you're, you know, you're giving an interview or you're asked for commentary as you are a government commentary, uh, you know. Explain the benefit of not pulling any punches. Explain the benefit of being open and, and true to who you are with your with your expression of how you feel about these things. Well, I think the benefit is is um, you know, especially if if it's a prospective client, for example, watching what I say, and then getting to know me and realizing, geez, what that person said, what Kim said. I mean, that's really how he conducts himself day to day in his office. And geez, you know, I went out to dinner with him and his wife and. And got to know his kids a little bit, and geez, that's how he conducts himself day to day as well. So, I think I'm getting the uh, the same person without any uh, veneer, depending on which hat he's wearing. And I and I got to tell you, with the high net worth person, especially, you know, a lot of them, especially if they're ultra high net worth, you know, they're always worried that somebody's pitching them an idea, pitching them this. Uh, it's just another sales thing. And I, I have found that the transparency and the consistency. Uh, of who you are and what you believe in and delivering that in a consistent way has been very, very effective in 
getting get, garnering trust and ensuring true uh, it, garnering trust is the big one. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the clients trust you, and as long as you can deliver on your promises, which is you know more than just staying true to what your message is, then it's even better. It, lock, it cements the relationship, and so it's it's been very very useful to me, Dave. And I guess the message what I would say to some of the people who are wanting to walk that line of you know they believe something in here but they don't want to say it right here you know that to me they're doing the world a disservice and they're doing their clients a disservice they're doing their their community a disservice speak it mm-hmm. and be prepared to defend it so we're talking with Kim Moody he's the CEO of Moody's private client you can reach Kim at 403-693-5100 403-693-5100 if you're in the states just dial it like you would normally dial a number in the states don't worry about any you know crazy country codes there they they're they're just like us 403-693-5100 all right Kim so tell me about the I want to talk about two more things tell me about the business that you get from people who are looking to renounce their citizenship. When I first met you, I was amazed that this was a thing. <laughs> Explain why, and it's it's U.S. people just renouncing their, their U.S. citizenship. When I first met you, I was shocked that it was a thing. And then I, you know, I learned more about it. And then I started talking to accountants here in the States about it. And you would think I told them that I was radioactive because they were like, what, renouncing your citizenship? What, what are you going to do? If you're overseas, you got no protection of the U.S. embassy. And I'm thinking, the U.S. Embassy doesn't give a crap about you when you're overseas anyway. <laughs> like, how often are you going to need to go? Like, you need a Band-Aid, you're going to go to the U.S. Embassy? Explain the strategy of renouncing your citizenship. Explain who does it. And talk about how you guys got into this. Sure. Maybe I'll start with that first thing sure. first, how we do it. You know, when, when I broke away from the national firm and started Moody's in 2007 and then started the law firm in 2012... Um, and we had started a cross-border practice, Canada-U.S. practice, in 2008. You know, and the reason why the reason why I started a Canada-U.S. practice was because the typical way of dealing with United States issues, and it still is today, the typical way that firms deal with it, is if they find out that there's U.S. holdings or assets or citizens in in, in their client base, they'll typically send an email to somebody they know in the states, either a law firm or an accounting firm, and, and get them to help with it. And that's how I did it for years. Uh, but I got to tell you, that's a pretty shitty way of dealing with it uh, because U.S. practitioners don't understand Canada. Canada does, Canadian practitioners don't understand United States. And so it kind of goes like this. The message went like that or always goes like that. And, uh, and that's the danger even with big four accounting firms and big law firms when they pick up the phone or call their affiliates. A lot of times it's very... It goes like this. And so one of my partners, who I think you, you knew before he passed away, Dennis Nerland, Dennis Nerland and I thought, there's got to be a better way. Why don't we just greenfield a, a practice? We'll go and hire some U.S. lawyers and we'll work on this together under one roof. <laughs> well, that was a little naive, I have to say. <laughs> but we did it. And we learned a lot and we grew. And now we're one of the most robust practice, Canada-U.S. practices in, in, uh, in Canada. Now, along the way, we tripped across a lot of people that were U.S. citizens living in Canada, but they had no allegiance to the United States. They didn't identify as an American citizen. They couldn't give a crap if they're a U.S. citizen. 
um, and they did not like the filing requirements that went along with it. Or they just simply hadn't filed and when we told them what the requirements were to file and the catch-ups, they were aghast and they certainly didn't like the fees. There's got to be a, another way, Kim. There's got to be another way. Well, there is. You can renounce your citizenship. And so, yeah, let's, let, let's look at that. So then we had our lawyers, our U.S. lawyers, look into you know, the U.S. immigration law, the tax law, and expatriation. And uh, once they were comfortable with it, they started renouncing some citizens. And they started doing that in 2009, 2010. And then FATCA came along, which is this law that basically ferrets out U.S. citizens who haven't filed their U.S. tax returns around the world and imposes an obligation on foreign banks like you know Canadian banks to ferret them out and identify them. And that scared the hell out of Canadians and people around the world. And so the, all of a sudden, the people that were interested in renouncing went like this. And all of a sudden, we were real busy. <laughs> so. And frankly, that was 2014, I think it was, when FATCA became law. And we would have thought it would have gone like this and then kind of flattened out from 2014. But instead, Dave, it's gone like this. Last year was a record year for the number of people that we renounced um, uh, in, in our history. And we're the largest firm in the world that renounces U.S. citizens. And to put that in perspective, I'll use round numbers. There's, depending on the year, there's about 5,000 people around the world that renounce their citizenship. So not a lot in the whole scheme of things. Last year we renounced o over 600. Mm -hmm. and, and why? It's because those people have no allegiance to the United States. Uh, but do I, do I sympathize with the people that, you know, that are U.S. citizens and identify as Americans and oh my God, I would never give up my U.S. citizenship. Of course, and that's not the client base we deal with. The client base we deal with, are, they're, they don't identify as U.S. citizens, and most of them are just really, really tired of the, of the, uh, the overreach in terms of tax. So, you know, there's, there's something, I think there's something that's important for us to point out to folks too, Kim, is that the United States is only one of two countries in the entire world that tax people based on citizenship and not residency, right? So it's the United States and it's some some like obscure place in like Africa, right? Isn't it? Yeah. So I mean, so you know, you're if you you, you know, if you're a US citizen regardless of where you live, the US wants to collect their taxes on you. Now, you know, there like Canada has a tax treaty with the US. So in most cases you only pay tax over and above like what the what the treaty would cover or in an area that the treaty doesn't cover, right? Can you give us an example of that? Yeah. I mean there's a whole bunch of the, the treaty's not perfect, but it's very good. And for the most part, for the average person, it'll eliminate double taxation. But let's say you're an American citizen living in Canada and you win the lottery. Well, it's taxed in the United States but it's not taxed in Canada, and the treaty doesn't fix that. So that would be a, you know, a, a kind of an outlier example, but an easy one to understand. Um, in Canada, there's a system where you can pay out certain types of dividends tax-free to Canadians. Um, and overly simplified, it's if the company receives life insurance proceeds, which are supposed to be tax-free, you can pay that out without tax. But if you're a US citizen, you're taxed on that dividend and the treaty doesn't fix that. So there's a whole bunch of nuances like that, that that you have to be very, very careful about. Okay.
All right, now talk about other accountants. So there's you you do you do some business accounting, but you get a lot of business from other other accountants in Canada who send specific types of clients to you. What type of client is the is the you know the uh, Canadian accountants sending to Moody's private client to work with? Well, it could be a bunch of things. It's they're typically obviously not going to send any work to our accounting firm because that's competitive. And frankly, we would never work on another friendly accountant's files. Uh, period. Like that's just not our that's not our game, right? We don't we want to play uh, friendly, but we can help them on certainly tax because we we're tax you know, we know our tax, um, and we're usually you know head and shoulders above the tax knowledge of, of the accounting firms that send us, and that's why they use us, right? They they want our expertise. Or they may have clients that need help in immigration law. You know, they want to go to the United States, or they want to come into Canada. Um, so we have, you know, immigration law we can help them with. It may be just traditional business and corporate law. They need to incorporate something or a shareholders agreement. Or so our business and corporate law group can help them with that. Or our newly added trust and estates group. Oh, you need a will. Um, oh, you need a trust draft to help with that. Um, and so you know, we can help the accounting firm's clients with that. And all those are not competitive spaces because they don't offer that in any event. So it's very complimentary and, and we help them out a, a ton. Is there, so this is this is interesting and I think we need to have a longer conversation about it, but is there is there the same need for trusts uh, to bypass probate in Canada as there is in most states in the United States. Even in Florida, we, <clears throat> pardon me, even in Florida, we we use trusts quite a bit to save the expense of the probate process and also to save some of the contentious nature of what could become probate litigation. Is that is that what you use trusts for in Canada as well? Uh, partially, yeah. It's, it's not, in my experience at least anyhow, it's not as robust a probate avoidance tool, if you want to call it that, as it is in the United States. Our probate fees are quite low, um, so typically it's not being used as a probate, you know, cost reduction tool. Uh, but often it's used for privacy, uh, like mm. the litigation stuff, right? To um, to avoid having to disclose assets or disclose beneficiaries or what have you. So. Trust can be very, very powerful that way. And, and, and in that sense, yes, it's, it's utilized quite a bit, especially with high net worth, ultra high net worth. What is your, what's your biggest concern from a, from a tax standpoint for the next? We're, we're, uh, we're recording this show in the beginning of 2022. So let's take the next three years. What's your biggest concern from a tax standpoint over the next three years? Well, that, that's that's a loaded question, Dave, and, and you probably know. Yesterday, I was asked to speak to you know Canada's House of Commons uh, Finance Committee on the 2022 budget. Uh, you know what should be in the budget, so I was invited to to provide my comments on that, and so I gave them you know some comments, and it all centers around. You know we're we're in we're in pretty bad shape economically, and we're not alone around the world. I mean, the United States uh, debts and deficits are horrific. But having said that, we're not the United States. You know, we don't we don't have a U.S. dollar, <laughs> that, and uh, you know we don't have the money supply like you guys have. And so our our economy is pretty small economy. 
pretty fragile in the whole scheme of things. And we just long-term can't afford to have huge deficits like we've run up over COVID and even prior to that. And so with that and inflationary pressures and, um, you know, with a lot of money leaving Canada, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure to increase tax taxes, increase revenue. So what I, to answer your question, what I worry about in the next three to five years is how Canada is going to get control of its spending and its deficits and how it's going to, uh, how tax policy is going to intersect with that. And I worry that it'll intersect with that in a very negative way for especially high net worth, uh, ultra high net worth and business owners. Could we, for example, see the introduction of a wealth tax? Um, I tend to think probably not um, because I just don't think there's an appetite in general, but given how we have the radical left in power right now, it wouldn't surprise me um, to see something like that. You know, they have to, they have to go after the wealthy because that's where the, that's where all the money is, those damn wealthy people. And so I worry about, you know, standard line that Trudeau and his gang uses is how much more the wealthy can, you know, we, we need to ask them to pay just a little bit more. And so I'm, you know, we're, we're really in tune with the pulse of what what that might be. So I worry about a wealth tax, increased personal tax rates, uh, tightening of death taxes, uh, like deemed dispositions, and uh, make it a little bit harder to leave Canada. So those are the things I'm a little bit worried about. And to, to sum it all up, if you are going to give people three things to take away from our time together today, what would be the three things that you would want them to think about as we uh, as we wrap up our time together, hmm. you should have gave me that question in advance. I would have prepared a nice little answer for you. Yeah, well, you're pretty good on your feet, so I'm sure I'm sure you'll prepare uh, a good answer anyway. I mean, I could uh, I could tell you what you know. I could give you a couple of things to get us started. I mean, the first thing that uh, that strikes me as an American is anytime I hear an American complaining about high taxes, I want to punch him in the mouth and send him to Canada because. <laughs> We got nothing compared to you guys. So that's one big takeaway for me that, you know, although, you know, our uh, our healthcare is uh, is probably you, you probably have a better handle on the healthcare than than we do. But I'm not I'm not paying 25 percent more for the healthcare. I'll figure out how to spend that money a better way myself. Thank you. So that that's that's one takeaway. You know, the the second the second takeaway I have is that. When, when you bring the practice of law and tax guidance together, I think it's a powerful combination. And I think for a certain group of people who, and I don't know what that number is, it's going to be different for everyone based on their, based on their tolerance for, for risk, based on their tolerance for you know taxation and that sort of thing. But having a legal team and an accounting team working hand in glove is powerful because I think you have to go into the preparation for your future and for your family and the money that you want to leave to your family or just from an asset protection standpoint if you don't have both of these things under one roof you you come up with a strategy on the tax side and then you have to make sure it's possible on the legal side so, you know, if you have both of them together, you don't, it's one less thing you have to worry about. It's one less step. And now when you tell me that you can combine that with trust and estates, you can have an entire 
asset protection strategy, a holistic asset protection strategy that will, to the extent that it's possible, preserve your wealth, not only for your lifetime, but for future generations, if that's something that is of concern to you. So I think that I think it's a powerful business model. And I think you guys have you have it as a competitive advantage now. And, um, you know, I'm I'm wondering why more folks don't do it. But I think it's a definite competitive advantage for you. So those are those are two things that I would take away. You know, tax wise, we're better off in the United States, no matter how much you're paying. And, you know, when you combine the practice of law and when you get your accountant to sit next to your lawyer and you have your trust and estates attorney at the table, too, that's the best way to prepare for the future from a tax perspective. Now, if you add business into that, too, if you're a business owner, now you're really talking about something powerful. So those are two things that I took away. Yeah, I, I, and I don't disagree with that. I, um, gave me time to reflect and think as, as well. So I, I think the other things I would leave with your, your listeners would be um, in Canada, you know, given the fact that there's not a lot of true tax specialists, not a lot of tax LLMs. Uh, be very, very careful as to where you get your tax advice. It's ex- as most practitioners know and people know, tax is a very, very difficult area of law, very, very difficult area of accounting. So seek out experts and certainly we're that. Number two would be don't rely on tax myths. It's, it's amazing to me whether you're rich or not rich, how many people rely on tax myths. And in the book I wrote, uh, couple, uh, which I didn't even mention actually, I, I wrote a book uh, a couple years ago now, um, called uh, uh, Make Your Life Less Taxing. Um, you know, I, talk, I have a whole section in there about um, don't fall for tax mythologies. You know, the buddy that saved money because he did such and such. Um, there's no shortage of mythologies on tax and just don't accept it. I recently got a new client, very wealthy fellow, and unfortunately he fell for uh, a tax product, which would be the third thing I would leave with your, uh, uh, your listeners. And is unfortunately you know there's still tax products that are out there in Canada we never had the tax product industry like like in the United States and you know how Arthur Anderson or not Arthur Anderson uh, uh, well I'll just say one of the big four got actually a lot of the big four got uh, crucified over some of the products we never really had a lot of that in Canada but unfortunately they're kind of still below the surface they still exist just don't fall for a lot of that stuff and if you think it's a little bit too good to be true then maybe get a second opinion and so i would leave that as uh, as a takeaway as well all right that's great so we've been talking with kim moody he's the ceo of moody's private client they are a tax and law firm based in alberta canada they work all over all over canada except quebec nobody goes to quebec so they work all over canada they will save you a ton of money on your taxes. They will be able to plan holistically for your future and for future generations. And it's important for us to note, and we will do a separate show just on this. If you're an accountant, if you're, uh, if you're a, an accountant in Canada and you handle corporate clients and you handle individuals but you're not in the in the tax planning game. You're not in the game uh, in the I shouldn't say the game. You're not in the business of providing tax guidance or you're not in the business of tax mitigation or risk mitigation or asset protection. Moody's has a special program just for you. They work very well with CPAs. They are not in any way competitive with CPAs who do 
business taxes and who handle the bookkeeping and the uh, the financial statements for entrepreneurs. They are kind of a continuing education and resource for people who are interested in helping take their clients to the next level. So if you're an accountant and you're within the sound of my voice and you're in Canada and you would like to avail yourself of the resources that Kim Moody has to offer, the guidance, the legal strategy that his team has to offer, the trust and estates work that they can do for your clients, Give Kim or his team a call and they will talk to you about the Moody's Plus community that a group of accountants in Canada who have formed this great community and they learn from Kim and his team. You can take that knowledge back to your clients. And when you have some advanced planning strategies and you need guidance and support, Kim will be there to guide you and to support you and then return the client to you afterwards. So call this number 403-693-5100, 403-693-5100. Ask about the Moody's Plus community. They will tell you how you can get involved, how you can take a look under the hood, see what kind of information they share. You get access to the team at Moody's. If you have a question, they're there to answer your question. They will make you a smarter accountant, make you a smarter practitioner in the process. Kim, thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show. Today, we were north of the border up in Canada, and we will see you right back here again tomorrow with another great interview. Until then, I'm Dave Lorenzo, and here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.